Good morning. Hey, we are, uh, man, as Alex said, we are super excited about today that we have baptisms that we're going to get to celebrate. Uh, and, and we are uh, so excited that we made sure the water was warm. Um, you know, uh, we thought about keeping it cold, making sure they're really committed. But um, no, we, we warmed it up for them. Hey, uh, because we we're having baptisms today, I thought it would be fitting uh, today to look at uh, part of scripture that uh, kind of describes baptism. That is Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, um, scroll there, open up your app if you want. But what I want to do today is, we don't always do this, but I want to read the full text, the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And then I want to spend the rest of our time diving into this scripture verse by verse um, and really unpacking what this scripture means. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It'll be up on the screen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up and seated and with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, I pray today that as we proclaim your word, God, that you would be glorified, that we would be edified, and you would change our hearts through the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. So I think everybody loves a story with a hero. Right? Everybody loves this defying the odds type of story, this redemption story where at the end of the day, at the end of the story, we can celebrate because the good guys won. Right? That's, that's what we love. If you think about any iconic movie or book, if you think of any iconic story, it usually follows that plot line. Right? So uh, think about... Uh, this plot, we're introduced to a hero, right? Our hero is met with a journey. Our hero is met with some sort of adventure that he is going to go on. But early on in the story, he's met with an antagonist, right? He's met with some evil guy, the bad guy, the enemy who wants to thwart his plans. He's met with a guy who wants to keep him from accomplishing his journey or her journey. And what we see is that the hero spends the most of the story figuring out a way. He's making ground. He's accomplishing what he's wanting to accomplish. But then at the end, it all comes crashing down. The bad guy won. But wait, did he? No, our hero won. Our hero saved the day. Right? And some of you are just thinking, man, I just watched an action movie. Like every action movie that's ever come out has that exact same plot line. Right? If you think about it, that's what most stories tell. It's that plot. Think about superhero movies. Think about the Avengers. Think about James Bond. I didn't talk about the, the women thrown into the story, but there's always a woman, right? There's always a love, too. Um, but James Bond, you think about Rocky, 
right? Rocky overcame and he uh, won. You think, not all the time, but uh, you think about Back to the Future, right? I love Back to the Future. And all three of those movies have the exact same plot. They just, instead of going backwards, they go forward. And instead of going forward, they go back further than they did the first time. Uh, And then you look at Disney movies. It's all the same movie. Every kid's Disney movie has the same plot, and it is this type of plot. And then Alex's favorite movie is the Fast and the Furious franchise. Right? All 27 of them. He loves them. Uh, It's the exact same story. They just add tanks and helicopters and planes instead of cars. They actually, I heard next year they're having a new one come out, and it's going to be called Fast X, because X stands for 10. They missed an opportunity. Think about this. Fast 10, your seatbelts. All right, we'll move on. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> there is a common plot in all movies, or not all movies, but most movies, most iconic stories. It's because these stories that are written nowadays are just recreating the greatest story that is ever told, and that is the story of the Bible. That is the story of God saving man. When it looked at its worst, it looked like there was no hope for man, God saved us, right? That God is the hero of the story, right? And so when we look throughout the Bible, there's this common theme throughout the whole thing. When times are dark, God steps in, right? God steps into the situation when there's no hope. You look at the Old Testament, you look at the people of Israel, this nation of God, these Jewish people that are being held captive in Egypt, Right? There's no hope there. They, they are enslaved to another people, but God stepped in and set them free. That God drew them out into the wilderness, and then as they are in the wilderness, they have no food, so they begin complaining and grumbling, and, but God gave them manna to eat. And then as they moved into the promised land, there were other nations that were more powerful around them and they wanted to take over the land of Israel, right? And Israel is this smaller nation and there's these huge nations with giants that are coming in and there's no hope for Israel to have a victory, but God would step in and he would always bring a victory, right? That this is a common theme of the Bible. Uh, There's blind men But God stepped in and Jesus was able to heal them so that they could see that there were lame men. But God stepped in and healed them. We look at the the apostle Paul who was Saul. And Saul was living his life persecuting the church of Christ. Saul lived his life to see to it that individuals who followed the way, who followed Jesus, were um, imprisoned, they were beaten, and even killed on his watch. But God stepped in and he changed his course of his life. That Saul became Paul and Paul lived his life as a missionary and as proclaiming the gospel and the good news of Jesus to every single person that he met. That is the story of the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, is a perfect um, summary of that big, huge story. That it is that story in a nutshell. So what I want to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Church, we were dead in our sin. 
that physically we are alive. Physically we are moving. We had blood pumping and coursing through our veins, but we're like zombies. There's nothing going on inside. Spiritually, we were dead. We had no hope. We had no future. We were living only by the flesh and of this world, right? When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's not just talking about physically, but it's talking about we have the spirit and we can live by the spirit. We can live by the flesh. And by the flesh means that we are living of this world. We are living in our own way. We are living on our own accord and not um, looking to God for what his will is, not looking to God for his direction on how we should live. And the scripture says that that is the only thing that we were doing. We were living as disobedient people who did not ask God how to live, who did not um, consult with God on what was the best way to live, that we were just simply living in our own accord. We were living by the world. And what does it say? We were following the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan that we were living and we were following Satan with our lives, every single one of us, right? That the, the place that we live, right, here on earth, the realm that we live in is ruled by Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. He has dominion over this place. And so without God, you have no option but to be a child of wrath. You have no option but to be, by your very nature, sinful and following the prince of the power of the air. And so because of that, it means that we're sinners. It means that we're broken. That the world only offers us bad things. Right? If God's not in the picture, what does this world truly offer us? Maybe it can offer you power. Maybe that's what the world is offering, is saying, hey, you're going to be successful if you can have power. What does power lead to? Power leads to things like slavery. Power leads to things like putting other people below you so that you can step on them to get to where you want to be. And with power comes things like greed, that you want everything that you want, that with power comes the idea that I need to have all these possessions, I need to have all the money that I can get, and I don't care if I... um, uh, Take advantage of other people to get it. I was going to say a different word. You don't care if you take advantage of other people. You don't care about other people's feelings, but you are simply worried about yourself. And so that power, that greed, it leads to corruption. It leads to corrupt hearts. It leads to governments that take over and um, deal with their people poorly. It deals with people where relationships are based off of what we can do for ourselves. That this is an idea of sin, that this is an entire worldview of sin. This world only has its desires of evil, and those desires lead to death. This world claims that it can satisfy you, but it is just the blind leading the blind. This world doesn't have the answer, so if we are following this world with our desires and our passions and the way that we live, we're going to end up with death. We're going to end up in hell. And so because of this, because that we walked in sin, we deserve the wrath of God. We all are deserving of God's wrath. Right? See that God is a holy God, and the punishment to our sin is the wrath of God. It is the wrath of a just God. God is 100% just. He is 100% righteous, and he is 100% holy. And so if we sin against God, there is a punishment, and that punishment is God's wrath, and we all deserve it. Every single one of us. Nobody in here, I don't care if you've been going to church since nine months before you were born. 
You deserve the wrath of God. Psalm 53.3 says that there is none who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. Death is the result of God's wrath. Death is what we deserve because of our sin, that our sin had to be paid for, that there was a debt that needed to be paid, and that debt is death. And each one of us deserve it. All of us have earned that punishment. We have earned eternal separation from God the Father in hell. In Genesis 3, right, the fall of man, we hear the story of Adam and Eve. They ate of the fruit which God told them not to eat of. Right? And in that moment, sin entered the world. Sin entered the cosmos of the universe, but sin didn't come alone. Sin came with its punishment, which was death. Right? Death was, did not exist before sin. But because of that sin, there's a punishment. And so we are all dead. We all deserve death. That spiritually, we are children of wrath. That spiritually, by our very nature, from the moment we are born, we are sinful. Now you look at a baby, what are, they, they look so sweet, they look so innocent, but what do they care about? Me, 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 right? That we are all at our very nature sinners. So no matter what you can accomplish in this life following this world, it will never free you from that punishment. Nothing can help you escape the wrath of God. No matter how successful you are, you can build a business, you can build an empire, you can have all the boats and toys and vehicles that you want. You can have a wonderful family that you love very much, but that is not gonna save you from the wrath of God. You can play as many rounds of golf as you wanna play. You can have the best life you wanna live, the most fun, outlandish living that you can think of, but it's not gonna save you from the wrath of God because on our last day, death is waiting for each of us. And I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death separated from God, our Father, our Creator forever. Welcome to church. But this is the situation that we're in. This is the condition of every single one of us in here, that we are sinners who are separated from God, deserving of the wrath of God. There is no hope. There is nothing that you can do to escape the wave of God's wrath that is coming. But God. Mm. Those are two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God, who is rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. We were helpless and we were hopeless. We were following a blind person telling us that they were leading us to life. That's silly. (laughs) Don't follow a blind person. (laughs) But church, God intervened. But God did not leave us in that place. 
right? This is the good news. This is the gospel. That these two words, but God, means that he did not leave us with what we deserve, that God changed our future, that God has given us life, right? That with these words, we now have hope. With these words, that when we get to our last day and death is awaiting us, we can be confident because we know that God has stepped in and saved the day, the gospel is that sinners, we sinners, were saved from the wrath of God by the love of God. That all of us are deserving of God's wrath. And I love the way that it says it here, but because of the great love with which he loved us. Because of the great love with which God loved us. He stepped in. You see, God is absolutely just, 100% just. And that means that we deserve the punishment for our sin, but God is 100% love. As much as God is holy and righteous and perfect, he is also loving to us. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, in his great love, he shows his character because God is love. And he made us alive with Christ. The punishment of God, the wrath of God that each and every one of us deserve. God didn't just forget about that. Right, this is one thing we need to realize, that there was a debt that needed to be paid. And God didn't just say, oh, you're fine. But what God did is God placed that wrath that was deserved for you on his son, Jesus the perfect and spotless lamb of God who lived a perfect, sinless life. And our, the wrath of God was not just forgiven, but it was placed on Jesus and it was paid, right? And so Jesus took that. And because he took our death, because he took our punishment, we can have life. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And we should celebrate that this morning. And what does it say in verse 6? It says, and, raised, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see that Christ didn't stay dead, but Christ rose, and he rose physically, and it tells us here that he rose spiritually, that Christ was raised up and put in the heavenly places, that he is seated on his throne in heaven, and what scripture tells us is that we are invited to follow with Christ, that if we die with Christ, die to ourselves, we are also raised with Christ, and so we now have an eternity where we can be seated in the heavenly place with God that we can have a relationship restored with God, that God loves us and in the great love which he had for us. And so instead of us being eternally separated from him in hell, we can now go to heaven, right? We can now have hope and on our last day that death is going to come for us, but death is not going to win. It's not gonna have victory over us because Jesus has already defeated death. That is the good news. And one of these last few verses, what do we see here? We see that Paul says that Jesus is rich in both mercy and in grace, right? So mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is us not receiving what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve death, but we did not receive that. That is mercy. And what is grace? Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. We did not deserve life. We did not deserve forgiveness, but we were given that he has mercy and grace and he is rich in both. 
His mercy and His grace is never-ending. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Right? So I don't know what your past looks like. Right, maybe you have a past full of sin. All of us have a past full of sin. We were all dead. But I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know um, the sins that you committed. I don't know how many sins you committed. I don't know what spectrum of sins you committed, but his grace abounds. God's mercy and God's grace is immeasurable. His bank account makes Warren Buffett's look like a piggy bank. So maybe you would say sitting here, I've done so much bad in my life that I'm so sinful. Any sin out there you can think of, I've committed it. I have hurt people. I've made mistake after mistake that any person who gets close to me, I end up hurting them. I take advantage of these people. I've done X, Y, and Z. Maybe you don't even think you are deserving of forgiveness. And what I would say to you is that you don't. None of us do. None of us are deserving of God's forgiveness, but God is rich in mercy, but God is rich in grace, but God has a great love for you and for me. That is the nature of God. That is the gospel that God is good and we are not. God is the hero of the story. Let's move on to verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul makes it clear here to all who are reading that God gets the credit. That God gets the glory for us being saved because it is his love and in his grace that saves us. Right? It calls it the gift of God. You don't earn a gift. If you earn a gift, it's called a wage. But a gift is not dependent on the recipient. The gift is dependent on the giver. The gift is dependent on the person who is giving the gift. It is out of the goodness of their heart. It is out of the love that they have for the recipient that the gift is given. We couldn't earn a gift. This isn't Santa Claus where he checks if we were good or bad. This is Christ who loved us, and out of the overflow of that love, he has given us the gift of grace. He has given us the gift of life. And this is such an important verse because this deals with any thought of self-righteousness that we may have. It deals with any idea that we have been good enough to earn salvation, that we have been good enough to earn God's love. You can't. You can't do anything to earn God's love, and you can't do anything to to get rid of God's love for you. Any good deeds, any church going that you have done, any Bible memorization that you have done, any charity that you give to, any knowledge of God that you have will not save you from God's wrath. The definition of sin is, is to miss the mark. 
Right? That's, if you look back at the word sin, it, it means to miss the mark. It's this idea of archery, right? So you have this target. It's a really small target, and it's really far away, right? It's hard to be perfect. But sin actually means that when you draw your bow back and you release that arrow and you shoot at that target, sin means that you miss. You miss the mark. Now, does it matter if you miss by an inch or you miss by a mile? No, you missed. You, you missed the mark. You didn't. You didn't hit it. You weren't perfect. You didn't live your life exactly how God wanted you to live, right? So if you were really, really close to being perfect, you're still a sinner. You still have the wrath of God to look forward to. So however much you go to church, however much you try to be a good person, that's not going to save you. It is only the gift of God's grace that saves you. Scripture says what? That you were dead. Now, here's the deal. I don't hang around a lot of dead people. But from my understanding, dead people don't do much. Dead people are just kind of dead, right? So what that means is that if you were dead, how are you going to earn salvation? <laughs> if you were dead, I don't think there's much that you can do to where God would be like, you know what, I love that one. I'm, I'm going to give him Jesus. No, it is the gift of God that we were dead in our sin, we missed the mark, we weren't perfect, no matter how close we could get. It's not a scale of you're better than everybody else. It's not a scale if you did more good things than bad things. You sin once, you miss the mark. You can't earn God's grace. But God's grace was realized in the person of Jesus, in the work that he did on the cross. And so through faith in what Christ has done, we are saved. And so these verses right here, verse 8 and 9, um, they can and they actually do lead to a lot of uh, deep theological conversations and possibly theological arguments, um, particularly uh, regarding Calvinism versus Arminianism. And if I just said those words and you just got real tense right now, I'm not going to talk much about it. <laughs> and if you don't know what those words mean, congratulations. I'm, I'm happy for you. Uh, but I'm going to explain it really quick. Calvinism basically just means predestination, that God has put everything in motion, that God causes everything to happen. And then Arminianism basically means that we as people have free will. Right? There's a big conversation, right? It says that for by grace you have been saved, right? It is what God has done. And then it says through faith, right? And so uh, I'm not going to talk about it much, but I think the scripture is clear that both exist that God has predestined these things to happen and we have the free will to, dis to choose them, to believe them, right? That there is God's sovereignty and there is men's responsibility, right? That both of those two things exist, that God is sovereign, that God is in complete control, that God is the only way that we are saved, that he gets all the glory. However, we have the responsibility to put our faith in that saving work, Right, that that is in here. That's exactly what the scripture says. And I want to share an illustration and then I'll move on. Imagine that you were running in the street. You got hit by a bus. Sorry, it's a bad day for you. You got hit by a bus. And all the next thing you know, you wake up. You're in an ambulance. You see there's things beeping everywhere. You're hooked up to things. There's EMTs all around you. And they just tell you, hey, 10 seconds ago, you were dead. We just did the thing to you. Um, <laughs> And you are now alive, but 10 seconds ago, you were dead. And so here's the deal. You're in bad shape. 
You're bleeding everywhere. We're trying to subside the bleeding so that you don't bleed out. We're trying to, you got some broken bones, so we're on our way to the hospital. We're going to take care of you. We're going to straighten that out. We're going to do surgery. Uh, you got, you're messed up, but we're going to make sure that you don't die. We're going to make sure that you are alive. We're going to make sure that you live through this. You did nothing to save yourself there. All you did was run in the street and made a bad decision. But at this point, all you need to do is not get out of the ambulance. Your only role at that point is to accept that you have been saved and not say, hey, can you pull over? I'd like to get out here. Right? That is what it means for us to have the free will to accept what God has done, that God has saved us. He gets all the credit. You get zero credit for being in that ambulance, having your wounds bandaged. You get zero credit for hooking yourself up to the IV and to giving yourselves medicine. You get zero credit for that, but you have to accept that saving. You're only responsible to accept the salvation, to believe that you were dead and to trust in the people who are saving you. So we are saved by grace through faith so that none may boast. We have nothing to boast about. We were dead, we were in our sin, we were children of wrath. But we boast in Christ and how great his love is for us, this Christ who saved us. Last bit of scripture here. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are the workmanship. Another translation says that we are the handiwork of God, that God has created us. He has knit us together in our mother's womb, that God has made us in his image. Out of all of creation, we are his workmanship. You can look at the Grand Canyon, you can look at the mountains, you can look at the beautiful creatures and animals in nature, and we are the prized possession. We are his workmanship. He made us and he saved us and he did it for a purpose. He did it for good works so that we would walk in them. They weren't, we weren't saved by good works. We just covered that. I'm going to say it one more time. You are not saved by good works. No matter how good you are, it can't save you. But we are saved for good works. We are saved and we are repurposed and we are given a, a mission. We are given a calling to live for God. John Calvin says, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. If we have a faith that justifies, it comes along with some fruit. It comes along with a life that is serving God. It comes along with a, a desire to love others, to serve others. Because God saved you, you were called to live for him. All we knew was our sin. All we knew was disobedience and wrath and evil. But God has given us a purpose, and so we are to walk in obedience we're to walk in the ways of the Lord, not the ways of the prince of the power of the air, that we are called to serve those around us, to love others with the love of Christ. And we are called to tell others of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's love that he has for us and for other people. We are invited into the story. We're not some damsel in distress that God just saved and now we're gonna like 
you know, go off on our merry way, that we are saved and God has given us a part in the story. He's given us a role to play. So what is the greatest story ever told? It is but God. Greatest story ever told is that God is good and that God has saved us, that we were dead, but God made us alive. And that's the story for the four people that are getting baptized today, right? At some point in their life that they were, they were dead. They were dead to their sins and their trespasses and in the ways of the world. But this idea of baptism is that when we are dipped down into the water, the old you goes down and the new you comes up. That you come up and you are now walking with Christ. You are now living out that purpose that he has given you. And so we are going to celebrate these baptisms because these baptisms are a, uh, a symbol or a poster for but God. And see, the problem is that I don't know who in this room is dead. <laughs> if we were physically dead, I'd be able to point you out. But when it comes to spiritual death, I don't know where you stand. But what I can tell you is this, is that you are in an ambulance and you were just dead and Jesus has revived you. Jesus has saved you. And so are you going to put your faith and are you going to put your trust in him? Are you going to get out of the ambulance and try to figure out how to live on your own? I believe that in God's great love for you, and his love for you, his spirit is pleading with you in this moment to accept that salvation and to trust him. Let's pray. So if you have never put your trust in Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to do that right now. That in this moment as the spirit is leading you and the spirit is drawing you into that relationship. I pray that you would choose life. I pray that you would allow God to save you, that he has already offered it, he has already done everything necessary to do it. Don't reject that gift. Christ took the wrath of God upon himself that you deserve. And that is the love that he has for you. And if you are a believer, um, I pray that this would be a reminder of the love that God has for you when he saved you, the love he has for you right now. And God, I do pray that you would get all of the glory, Lord. There's nothing that we bring to the table. There's nothing that we can offer you of any value our good works that are as a fifth filthy rags. But God, you are so good to us, Father, that we are broken and sinful, but God, you are perfect. So heal our hearts, transform our lives in accordance to your will. That we are weak and our flesh fails us, but God, you are strong. And so God, I ask that you would give us the strength to live this life for you. That we would live in good works. 
that people would know who you are and know your great love for them because of the way that we live our lives boldly proclaiming this truth. And Father, help us to live for you by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen.